Welcome to episode 20 of Dear Nina, Conversations About Friendship. There's something exciting about a round number, isn't there? It's not like making 19 episodes. Is that different from making 20? And yet 20 feels extra special. So thanks for being here. Even if this is your first time, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, so happy to have you back. This special round numbered episode, I'm doing a solo one. It won't be long. And it's to tackle an issue that comes up in a lot of letters I get. And that issue is friendship chemistry. Nobody uses those words. What I hear instead are different forms of frustration, really, both with friendships that are not moving faster and ones that you know, maybe did start, but they're just not getting to the next level at all. And while I believe that studies saying it takes 200 hours to make a close friend are true, I don't think it speaks to that thing that happens before the 200 hours, which is just that initial spark of friendship chemistry. Is this something that we can explain? There is a book that explains it. I'm going to talk to you about it. Now, that doesn't mean that time and experience together can't overcome like the so-so initial chemistry that happens sometimes. I do want to talk about those magical friendship moments, those initial sparks, because they're real. If you have felt them, and maybe it was even just one time in your life or two, you know what I'm talking about. It's that friendship at first sight feeling. Have you had them? I'd love to hear about it in my Facebook group if you're willing to share, because I might do a follow-up on this one with some more specific examples, because sometimes it's hard to talk about without examples. Right now in my Facebook group, it's called Dear Nina, the group. There's about 139 of us. It's a private group, meaning like what you write in there will be seen by the other 139 people, but it's not searchable from the outside. So if somebody were to search your name, your participation in the group will not come up. It's a private group. But what we do is we talk about friendship issues and we talk about what we're reading and watching. Okay, so back to friendship chemistry. I'm fascinated by what makes people click. I really am. Like Within minutes, sometimes you know whether you're going to pursue a friendship with someone or not. And is that fair? Maybe not but it is reality. I always thought friendship chemistry was really just a matter of personality. Like for example, like I'm really aware when I'm the one asking all the questions or if I'm the only one offering information. That doesn't mean I can't change my mind about a person after we spent more time together. Sometimes I have found that I'm right, that that initial click I felt or didn't feel really was spot on. And ultimately you can't force a friendship where you just didn't feel it or you're not feeling it. Meaning like I can tell if someone doesn't show interest also in those first few times we're together, not they're not likely to suddenly start pursuing a friendship with me, you know, months later. Nevertheless, I do sometimes feel guilty about those snap judgments that I make. I'm sure other people make those judgments too, but I felt a little better after reading this one book in 2011. See, I've been reading and writing about friendship for a long time. And it's called Click, The Forces Behind How We Engage with People, Work, and Everything We Do. And it's Click, C-L-I-C-K, not Click Like a Group of Friends Click, which is Q-U-E. And it's by Ori and Ram Brafman, who are brothers who did their research and writing together. Now, I can't tell you, like, I love the book. I'm not telling you to run out and buy it. Sorry to the Braffin brothers. This isn't exactly a huge endorsement of the book in terms of a page turner, but it is interesting research, which I'm basically going to break down for you. And the research is all about why you might feel chemistry with somebody and why you might not. That's the click they're referring to. They came up with what they call the five accelerators to friendship. They just called it the five accelerators, but that's what they're talking about. Accelerators to friendship. And really not just 
friendship. I mean, it could work in business too. You know, sometimes you click with people more than others and you tend to want to do business with people you like. The five accelerators are, and I'm going to go through each of them after, but their similarity, I bet, by the way, you're not going to be surprised by these. I mean, they're pretty logical. Similarity, vulnerability, proximity. Number four was resonance, which is a little harder one to explain. We'll get, we'll go through that. And number five, the Brafman brothers called safe place. So let's just go through those. Similarity was number one. That makes a lot of sense. According to their research, quantity matters more than quality with this one, meaning the more things you have in common, the more you're going to click with someone and they don't have to be quality things. So a good example is, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but when I meet someone whose name is Nina, which does happen, not a lot, but when it does, we have an instant click. Now, it doesn't mean we'll actually become friends because we might not have all the other things or we might not have enough in common. Sometimes it's someone much older or much younger or they don't live anywhere near me. It's like an internet person. Not that you can't be close friends with internet people because I really am. But when somebody is named Nina, we just, I see it in the other person too. We had this immediate light up. But now if you add on all the other things you might have in common, similar age, maybe you have kids around the same age, maybe you live in the same city. I mean, if the similarities keep adding up, it counts for a lot. Does that mean we're all total narcissists? Maybe, (laughs) maybe it does. I don't know. They didn't take the research that far. Obviously, if you like someone who's just like you, it does speak to how you see yourself. Number two was vulnerability, which is also a really obvious one. Brene Brown obviously does a lot of work in this area. The Brofmans said, when you demonstrate your vulnerability, these are my words, not theirs. I'm just summarizing. You invite the other person to display theirs too. And that creates trust. Of course, this could go too far and it could have the opposite effect. And that's what we call oversharing. Christy Tate, the author of Group, um, she was my guest in episode four, and we discussed that issue. That was the entire topic of that episode, which was oversharing. And that can create a false sense of closeness, especially when it's not reciprocal. So if one person is doing tons and tons of sharing, the other person is much more closed off. It may feel like you're close. It may feel like you clicking, like you have chemistry, but later when you feel a sense of shame for sharing too much, it's because the other person didn't also share. And now you feel like you've given over too much information. The third friendship accelerator or click accelerator, sorry, that's what they call it, is proximity. I think this one counts for a lot. The authors, when they talk about proximity, they're not just referring to we both live in Minneapolis or whatever city. It's really a matter of feet and miles. Like you're in the same dorm, floor. You have cubicles next to each other. You're in the same neighborhood. And I really don't think this one can be overstated. Just thinking about my own life, two years ago, my husband and I moved from one suburb of Minneapolis to another, about 10 minutes apart. It's really not far. And yet it does make a big difference. I wouldn't say my friends changed because I've lived in this town for 20 years and I pretty much have generally the same friends, although I'm always open to making new friends and I have, but I think I got closer with my friends who live closer to the new neighborhood. It just, how could I not? We can see each other for last minute walks. Sometimes I'll join a friend for the last 20 minutes of a walk. Like someone might text me and say, can you walk? And I'll say, I can't for another you know, 30 minutes. They may say, well, I have to be home by you know X time. So I'll just come for the last 20 minutes when I'm available and they're still walking and vice versa. It's happened plenty of times. Those 20 minutes here and there, they add up. They add up. You're really caught up when that happens. Number four, 
they called resonance. That's the one that's the least obvious. We did similarity, vulnerability, and proximity. Those are more obvious. Number four of resonance, they describe this as the ability to stay present in the moment, be in tune with others, demonstrate empathy, elicit empathy from others, and generally be in the flow. Those are their words. I'm going to read that one more time. Resonance is the ability to stay present in the moment, be in tune with others, demonstrate empathy, elicit empathy from others, and generally be in the flow. So this, I think, is a case of you know it when you see it. And really, I think number four is the magic part of chemistry that we're referring to when we talk about friendship at first sight. That in the flow, that you're sharing, they're sharing, it's happening all at once. And you have this feeling like you've known the person a long time. Now, the Brafman brothers would say it's not just magic, that there's all these other factors. There's the similarity issue, the vulnerability issue, the proximity, but they did isolate this as its own thing, residence. That one you just can't plan for. And I think it's completely separate from how much time you spend with a person. That's the one you feel immediately or not. 200 hours with a person, which is the number that studies say it takes to create a close close friend can really create a close friendship. All that time does create a close friendship, but this number four, this resonance is independent of time. It happens without the 200 hours. And those are kind of rare. I don't think we should be chasing those kind of friendships because they either happen or they don't. And number five, they called safe place. And this is really a matter of context. They describe maybe the first year of college as a good example. Why you make a lot of friends is because everyone's in this same mindset to make new friends. And I would say, of course, vulnerability and proximity really factor in here too. And even similarity, you all chose the same college for a reason. Another example of safe place would be connecting during times of joint adversity, which could be something really intense, like surviving a hurricane together, something like that. Or it could be really something more benign, like you and a friend or you and a casual friend went to a Zumba class. The moves were really hard. You guys were laughing the whole time. You were so embarrassed, but you got through it and you stayed the whole time. So you survived that together. And that's now a funny memory you have. I'd say that people who really stuck with you during COVID, even from a distance, like if you had certain friends that you texted a lot, that you did Marco Polos with, I did Marco Polos with some friends that you walked with regularly so that you could still outside so that you could still be together. That created a closeness because you survived this loneliness together. And then traveling. If you travel with a friend, that definitely becomes context of safe place because all kinds of things happen when you travel. You pick a restaurant and it was terrible or the wait was horrible and you had to, at the airport, you know, the flight got delayed and you had to deal with that day. Like all that stuff creates safety in a friendship. You've now survived something. Now here's one piece of all this research that I do think is hard to swallow. And sometimes it's that all of these elements are present. You have similarities with somebody. You have a situation where you've been vulnerable, they've been vulnerable. You live near each other or you work together. So that would be proximity. There was that moment of resonance. Maybe at first it seemed like you were going to have good chemistry and maybe you've even survived something together. And it might even be something as simple as like you both had a terrible boss together because you or a horrible teacher or something like that. Yet the friendship doesn't take off. I think that's a hard one. I think that might be what I get letters about sometimes. I don't mean I think that. I know that no one, again, uses these words, of course, but it's like they're trying to say they have all these things in common with somebody. There's no reason they shouldn't be friends. Their kids are friends. A lot of times it's that, like the kids are friends, but we can't seem to take it to the next level. That's the one that's really hard. The Brofman brothers even acknowledge that sometimes this platonic love at first sight happens 
with just an unexplainable reason. The inverse is true also. Sometimes you have all these factors going for you and there's still no magic. That is what I would love us to discuss on the Facebook page. Tell me, do you think it's possible to know exactly why you clicked with someone? I think it might be easier to know why you didn't. Maybe they said something really offensive or they just look at their phone every two seconds and don't seem interested. There are more obvious reasons why you don't click with somebody, but I would love to hear success stories. Times you did click with somebody. I think it would be really interesting. And if if there's a particularly interesting friendship pair, I would love to even have you on the show just to talk about what it was like, how you knew, how did you know you were going to be such close friends? So you can find me on the Facebook page, like I said, or it's not the page, sorry, the group, Dear Nina, the group. I do have a page also, but that's a different thing. I'm not even going to bother you with that. Dear Nina, the group. You can email me at Nina Badzin, B-A-D-Z-I-N at gmail.com. And you can always find me on my website, ninabadzin.com. And the website is a good place to look for show notes. Like I'll have all the notes on this, like the five friendship accelerators. And it's also where you can find an anonymous form to write me a comment. Either it's to ask a friendship question that you would love to see on the show or to just write a comment. Like maybe you have something to say about an episode or about a friendship about anything, but you don't want me to know it's from you. That form does not require an email address. So it's a really good one to use. But if you are fine with me knowing it's you, then you can just email me at ninabadzin at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you to my producer, Dave DeLuger, as always. And remember, when our friendships are going well, we are happier all around.